Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and I'm here with Tom Tobin on the middle of the last day of the legislative session. Lots of things are in process, but we're going to try and nail down some issues for you as they stand anyway. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jeff. Uh, you know, that old saying about the legislation being like making sausage, we have some prime grade A sausage uh, going on this week, don't we? Yes, we do. And a lot of it is being squeezed into a bill called House Bill 549. (laughs) It's a good analogy. Tell us uh, some of what it says. It's loaded with lots of education stuff. There is something for everyone in that bill, which as we are speaking now, just at 1230 in the afternoon, the bill has passed the Senate and been sent back to the House, which doesn't even convene for another half an hour. They are expected to take up the measure and to pass it. The senator said that all the items in there were things that were acceptable, at least to House leadership when they were debating the measure in their private chambers. But what's in there is everything from allowing students to use sunscreen on school campus without a doctor's prescription to recess. That bill that we thought was dead is now back in there as a 20 minutes of daily recess at elementary schools mandated. There are things in there for charter schools and how they can be established. There's things in there, a lot of it on testing, which was actually the original point of the bill. The actual bill was supposed to be about providing copies of some of the state tests to the public after students have taken them so they can see them, you know, see what they're being asked. Right. And also, I think the, uh, the other measures, too, that were important to the, uh, the, the people pushing this legislation f- forward earlier in the session, the uh, moving those uh, state tests, uh, most of the state testing to that two to four week window at the end of the school year. And also uh, paper, uh, paper and pencil testing, too, is, is in that bill, is that, if, I, if I'm correct. That's right. The paper and pencil part of the bill would be just limited to third through fifth grade, and it would not take place until 2018-19 school year to get everybody a chance to get into that. It's a small piece of what people were looking for, but it's a step in the right direction. And that seems to be the language that people keep using is step in the right direction. Because at the beginning of this legislative session, Even before it started, when people were just getting ready, everybody talked about wanting to do something on testing, and we heard everything. Move everybody to paper and pencil testing. Change the testing window so that way there's more time to teach and learn and less time to test. And as this bill progressed and and made its way through all of its different iterations, it's just got some of what they wanted. We were talking about fewer, better testing. It's got a few fewer They're going to try and do away with the Algebra 2 end-of-course exam, which is one of the least passed exams that the state offers. It's going to do away with the physical education competency test, which is sort of like an alternative to a credit for physical education in high school that you could get um, credit for that if you pass the test. Unless, But they, they made athletes take it, but they didn't make ROTC students take it, for instance. This eliminates that test for student athletes. So there are a few tests that they're getting rid of, but not a ton. There is a little bit of paper-pencil testing, but not a ton. 
that's kind of the way that this bill looks. It's got a little bit of something for everybody, so it's good enough that you want to vote for it, but it's not great. Not everybody's super excited about it. Right. I know Bill, Senator Bill Monfort of Tallahassee, uh, and also uh, uh, head of the Superintendents Association, you know, was he's, he was one of the primary people pushing for a lot of these uh, these improvements. Uh, you know, saying that the testing in this state has just uh, gone off the rails, and they've heard from parents and heard from uh, superintendents that it just needs to be fixed. He, you know, takes a look at this legislation uh, now and says, well. It's it's a step forward. It's not nearly everything I wanted, uh, uh, but uh, we'll we'll take it. And that's kind of what the process is about right now. Yeah, and it did pass the Senate unanimously, and so everybody just sort of took it for what it was. And they look at it in the long term of things. A couple of years ago, they said that there were too many tests, and so they eliminated end of course exams on every single cap test, every single class. Sorry. They eliminated, and of course, tests that were going to be required on every single class from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. They eliminated them after having developed them, but never having put them in place. People realized they had really gone too far. A lot of people didn't see that as eliminating tests because nobody had ever taken those. But imagine if they had taken them, the kind of havoc that they would have wreaked upon the system. So this year, they're taking a little step further forward and Depending on who's still left in the legislature in a couple of years, maybe they'll take another step forward. Yeah, there's there's a couple of uh, uh, items that uh, do look uh, down the down the road a bit, and one of them is that measure that uh, uh, they're going the, the the DOE is going to study uh, uh, supplanting the uh, high school uh, state tests with uh, ACT and SAT tests, um, and also the there's a, a uh, a measure too that would uh, study what Florida is doing wrong with regarding uh, with regard to its middle schools. So those are two uh, uh, long longer term things that could uh, we we won't see the fruits of those maybe for a couple of years. Right, and Senator Montford and some of the other people realized that's what was going to happen, and so they've turned their attention to another area which is way more important and and immediate, and that is the budget, which nobody has nobody's actually seen. Anything besides some summary numbers and a few pieces of, of documentation, the informing language that implements a lot of things like schools of hope and expansion of best and brightest, nobody has seen it yet and it's not expected perhaps until Sunday, but they have seen the bottom line numbers and the Superintendents Association, which Senator Monford heads, has gone on record publicly and loudly against what's in there because where they had been expecting about a 3% increase in per-student funding has turned into a small decrease of base student allocation. The overall number still goes up a little bit, but the base student allocation that can be used for general operations of education is going down for the first time that anybody can think of in a non-recessionary type year. And they're really upset about it. The money is going into other areas, and those areas are best and brightest, schools of hope, and things that are brand new. And superintendent from Pasco County, who I talk to a lot, um, he, he put it pretty starkly when he just said, you know, if, if it weren't for growth in our district, we'd be getting about $2 million less than we're currently getting this year. It concerns me that we have the situation where they're funding new programs, but they have not fully funded or made K-12 whole. And that's what the issue is right now. And we don't know how it's going to come out in the end, probably just this way. 
Right. I mean, you just you do you have all this growth in Florida, but the the money that they're putting forth is just enough to cover that. Doesn't cover the other things that are going up and uh, with inflation and uh, uh, added programs. Um, and it affects uh, different counties in different ways. You know, you gave the overall number. You know, it's a small, very small uh, increase, a third of a percent. Um, on the, the overall funding, but if you look down the list, not, in, our, in the Tampa Bay area, all of our all of our counties, uh, Hillsborough, Pinellas, uh, Pasco, and Hernando are, have very slight increases. But there's a lot of minus signs down that down that list, and a lot of them are smaller counties that are going to get uh, uh, hit here with with uh, a negative uh, money coming in. Yeah, they face the new reality of leadership, which is saying that they don't understand why it is that we just look at per-student funding as the, as the gold standard for how we fund education. At a, at a recent press availability, Senator, Senate President Negron, he basically said that. I'm going to read a short quote from him because it sort of highlights where we're headed. I think in K-12, there's been way too much focus on just the FEFP as if that is the standard for education funding. I think that some of the House priorities with regard to charter schools, and that's $200 million that parents will be taking advantage of. And I think that should also count in the K-12 formulas. That about says it all. Yeah, it, it says it all. A lot of the superintendents obviously uh, would disagree. They they want to be able to, to, to run their districts and, and run them in a way that... Uh, they think is uh, good for kids, and uh, you know those those with with those data that day to day operational money, and uh, they're they're not seeing that come forth from uh, this bill. It is kind of surprising though that they're going this way because the House early in the session talked about the need to have a forward looking process that considers that in the outlying years the budgets are going to get worse, and yet they're creating brand new programs or expanding programs with this money that may not be there in the future. And at the same time, as, as the superintendents have said, they're not funding the base. So it's really kind of, it's kind of interesting to see where that will head because it, it, it's almost dissonant when you look at the two things next to each other. Well, we haven't discussed another uh, key player here, and it's the governor. You know, And he, he said the other day, uh, when asked about the budget, I have no earthly idea what's in the budget. And he's kind of been on the, the outside looking in. I you have to wonder where he is on the education funding. He went into the session wanting to, to uh, uh, significantly increase that base student allocation. Um, and uh, we haven't heard from him uh, that I've seen uh, in the last uh, day or so uh, where, where he stands. There really hasn't been much to look at, actually. So Right, right. He's, he's, um, he's been quiet, but, you know, he's getting beat up on a whole bunch of different fronts, including his whole priority of job creation, enterprise, Florida, things of that nature. And so, I mean, I don't know that he's going to be able to veto an entire budget, but, you know, there's been talk of that. We will just have to wait and see on that one when he gets it, like when we get it. We haven't seen it either. So the legislature is continuing to move forward uh, just right before 1230 when we started to record. They moved ahead on one other bill that has been a fairly controversial one in some quarters, and that is the Textbook and Instructional Material Challenges Bill. It's House Bill 989. They took up the House version rather than the Senate version, and the Senate barely passed it, 19 to 17. One of the biggest concerns in there was the expansion of the ability to cha- to challenge materials in school libraries and on school shelves. And the the opponents to the bill 
really pointed out that this doesn't just include parents. This includes now residents. At one point it was taxpayers, but now it's residents of a community can come in and challenge anything. And and some of the real big critics were saying that they were concerned that a group of people from the community can come in and based on social issues, challenge materials and get them removed from schools. Things They were talking specifically about sex ed and evolution, two issues which we've seen fought time and time again. Right. We talked about this bill earlier in the session, and I think it went to the extent of, you know, uh, it, giving access to uh, members of the public to, to school libraries. So meaning, you know, they need to get past that front desk and they can go in and root around in the uh, in the school library. Uh, so uh, that's, that's an interesting uh, development that ex- expands the public's right to, you know, just to, to, to look at these materials. Well, the supporters of the bill put it really starkly as, you know, these are people who pay for the school system and they have a right to be participating in deciding what's going on in the school system. Senator Baxley, who's one of our more conservative senators, put it really simply. He said, don't fear the debate. Include people in the process of deciding. And he didn't understand why we wouldn't want to allow members of the community to come in and and review materials and help to determine whether they meet community standards. And the sponsor of the bill, Tom Lee, who's from Hillsborough County, he, he pointed out that some of the, the biggest worries that some of the, the critics had were kind of overblown. He suggested that they, their concerns are real, but the bill had been tied down in a way so that only, as he put it, legitimate complaints that arise about instructional materials would be dealt with and other things would be summarily dismissed by the school district people who would review and determine whether they were legitimate complaints. Sometimes we make too much of these complaints. I know that, I mean, the system right now, Jeff, doesn't it allow for uh, public input into materials? I mean, this, this, uh, in the end, aren't some of these changes really not that dramatic? Well, yes, actually, I've covered several challenges of materials in our communities here in the Tampa Bay area where parents and others have brought up the concerns. And they've usually been about like novels with a lot of sexual graphic type language in them. And often for summer reading, that's where they usually pop up. And and the schools have dealt with those. But the point is that in some other communities, the schools or the school systems have not dealt with those. And so these lawmakers, especially from those other communities, wanted to push a bill that would strictly define how somebody can come in and challenge and get their challenge actually heard. So, so that bill is, that bill is now apparently headed to the governor's desk and, and there are several other bills that have been moving the, aside from the big ones, which still in process, there have some been some smaller bills that have also gone through regarding school crossing safety, school bus, school bus safety, private school student participation and extracurricular activities. Those small issues are already headed to the governor, but we have that big bill on testing and related items that we're still waiting to hear on and the budget. And those are really the ones that people were, were hoping to hear about and, and really pushing for a lot more than, than these little small items, which moved pretty easily through. And one thing we didn't mention in that big bill too, I think is in there uh, a change in the, the way uh, teachers are evaluated. The, the, the dreaded uh, VAM model uh, was uh, would go away under this legislation and uh, uh, there would be a different way to evaluate uh, teachers rather than on 
uh, test scores, including test scores that uh, of kids that aren't even uh, before you in the classroom. Good point. The the VAM would be optional for school districts to use if they wanted to use it now, but it wouldn't be required as part of evaluation. Another piece that people are really saying like that makes it a better bill that makes it palatable. Another one was the one we mentioned about um, school board members having access to all the schools in their districts. School boards generally have had that, but some superintendents have rejected the requests of certain board members in certain counties who have asked for unfettered access and in sometimes to, for political purposes, like filming ads for their campaigns. And so it's been a small battle going on, and that's in that bill as well. Talking about small things, why don't we just jump right into our small things that we notice and, and let this move on from here, and we will um, bring back a summary next week of, of the what won and what lost in the legislative session. But for now, Tom, what has caught your eye aside from these issues? Well, until this stage of uh, this, the uh, session, I I thought we had visited every uh, piece of, of relevant legislation. Uh, I it was new to me when I saw it in the in the, in the big bill that the legislature was going to um, add that measure about uh, sunscreen, uh, and I so I just went and looked it up. It says uh, a student may possess and use a topical sunscreen product while on school property or at a school-sponsored event or activity without a physician's note or prescription if the product is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration for over-the-counter use, blah, blah, blah. So no, no, no uh, mention there about what SPF uh, the, you, you can have, but um, that's, uh, that's a, they really went down in the weeds with that one. So I, uh, I don't know where that came from, but that was, <laughs> it stuck out for me. It's my understanding that that came from certain districts that were not allowing kids to use sunscreen. That sounds like what it, what it was. Uh, so, and hopefully those kids in sun in the sunshine state will be better protected now. Absolutely, I'm I'm happy for that. And how about you, Jeff? I come back to the Good Friday debate that I've had to cover over the past couple of weeks, and and how hard it seems to be for a school district to come to a conclusion on that. Just had a workshop on it and found that you have school board members all over the map on it, the communities all over the map on it, and it just goes to show how important religion is in a community and how how diligent you have to be in protecting not just one religion but all religions and, and everybody's rights. It, it looks like the school district in Pasco is going to come down on the side of making sure everybody gets an exemption, uh, an excused absence if they take a religious holiday, and nothing more than that. But the debate is not going to be over because... People aren't going to let this one lie down and just die. I don't think it'll be over. Uh, you know, school schedules, school calendars change every few years, and it's, it's this is something that's just going to keep coming up and up again, um, and as, as well as other issues that, that have to do with the calendar. We've talked about this before. It's uh, The calendar is a, a sticky wicket sometimes. Uh, but it looks like the superintendent, he said he would, uh, you know, consider the, the issue fully, but uh, it look, like you said, it looks like he will come down on the side of uh, not uh, having Good Friday be a holiday. Yeah, kids will find out in less than two weeks whether their next year's Good Friday will be a class day or not. 
And that's the end of our podcast. Unless you got anything else to say, Tom? That's it. I think the next uh, few hours are going to be important. Uh, over the weekend will be interesting. And then early next week, we'll see where it all ends up uh, with uh, the budget and with all this education policy that's coming out of Tallahassee. That's right. So we just want to say, if you want to participate in this conversation, come to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Follow the updates as we provide them on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. And I am reporter Jeff Solichuk. And I'm editor Tom Tobin. And we thank you for listening.